Well, thank you, Les. Um, maybe, maybe are we doing any good uh, would be sort of an overall, an overall title. But uh, my first talk is, is more uh, a one-off one. And second and third one go, go, go together. Um, I want to read from First Peter. And just picking a few verses here and there. Uh, scattered throughout Peter's first letter. So, reading, first of all, right at the beginning of the letter of First Peter, and uh, the first two verses of chapter 1, First Peter 1, uh, chapter 1, this is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then at the end of that chapter, at verse 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And then into chapter 2 and uh, reading at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And then into chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And then into chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, 
faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And lastly, chapter 5 from verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And we end our reading there. That verse in First Peter. Uh, this first talk that I want to, want to bring uh, this morning is entitled, Understanding Our Challenge. And uh, it's, it's a bit more of a matter of thinking about the kind of time and age in which God has put us. Uh, I want to speak about the kind of times that we live in and what God expects of us as we live in these kind of times. Uh, what kind of church should we aim at being at this particular stage in history? Uh, the first thing I want to speak about is understanding our culture. And then, uh, secondly, I want to speak about understanding our calling. So the overall title is Understanding Our Challenge. The two sub-points, first of all, understanding our culture, and then secondly, uh, understanding our calling. So first of all, then, understanding our culture, understanding the kind of place that we live in, uh, what, is it, what is it like? Uh, the United Kingdom uh, is today a very different kind of place from what it was when the older members of this body uh, were growing up. Uh, church attendance now in the United Kingdom is very, very much a minority interest. Uh, here in Northern Ireland, the minority is a bit bigger than it would be in the rest of the United Kingdom, having lived in Scotland uh, for about 16 years altogether, uh, there's, a, there's a much smaller percentage of people in Scotland that would attend worship uh, on the Lord's Day than would be the case in Northern Ireland. Uh, Tearfund issued a report in 2007, and that report found that very, very close to 70% of the population of the United Kingdom have no intention of attending a church service at any stage in the future. 70% of the population have no intention whatsoever of attending a church service. Their intention is to not attend any church activities. 
Seven out of ten people across the board in the UK are fully committed to having nothing to do with church. They're not going to come when they receive leaflets through their letterboxes. They have already decided that they're not going to come. That is their mindset. That is the way they think. Church is a foreign, strange thing to them. It's not something that they are considering going to. They've already decided that's not for them. It's not just that they haven't yet been invited. Uh, Their minds, for now at least, are made up. That's the kind of society uh, that exists in the UK. Uh, You might think, well, maybe there's some hope for the future. Maybe among the children that are growing up in the United Kingdom, uh, things will be a bit better. Uh, You're perhaps aware that in some cases, there are children who get sent along to Sunday school uh, when the parents themselves don't actually uh, attend worship. Uh, Well, here are the statistics for church attendance looking at uh, the previous century. What do you think the percentage of children attending Sunday school would have been in the year 1900? Who would like to have a guess at that? doesn't matter if you're wrong. (laughs) 85%. Well, 55%. Even back in 1900, uh, it was only 55%. By 1940, it had fallen to 35%. In 1970, it was down to 14%. And in the year 2000, which is 14 years ago, it was 4%. It's probably lower than that now. So 14 years ago or 13 years ago, 96% of children in the United Kingdom were growing up without any exposure uh, to the church or its message. That's the reality of the United Kingdom in which we live. 96% 14 years ago uh, were not receiving any meaningful Christian truth. The United Kingdom is a very secular country, no matter what Mr. Cameron, our Prime Minister, might say. Uh, In the United States, by way of contrast, Uh, One in four people have no contact with any church, whereas in the United Kingdom, it's three in four people that have no contact with any church. And some of those in the quarter that do have contact, it will be not particularly meaningful contact, and the church may have a message that is quite different uh, from the message of the Scriptures. Uh, There are other countries in Europe, of course, that are even worse than the United Kingdom. Uh, Malcolm Ball was speaking at a synod in Drumore in June time, and he was telling us that Europe is now the most needy continent in the world in terms of the gospel. There's no other more uh, gospel-poor continent than Europe. Uh, So we live in a country that I believe is no longer fit to be described in any meaningful way as a Christian country. That has been much discussed in the the last week with David Cameron speaking about this being a a Christian country and then a whole lot of atheists weighed in and say, oh, no, it's not. And it's been a bit like a a pantomime and one side says yes and one says no. 
But people mean totally different things by Christian. Uh, and that's the, the, the reality behind that, that discussion. Uh, <clears throat> it's not too long since at the, uh, in the Houses of Parliament there were the uh, debates taking place uh, on the issue of same-sex marriage. And uh, I listened in to a fair bit of the debate within the House of Lords to see what the, the, the senior uh, people in our nation were saying on that issue. And there were very, very few that ever mentioned uh, anything in terms of the teaching of the Bible and Christian morality when that topic was being discussed. Even some who were Christians did not mention this as being God's standard. Uh, the, uh, that just, just, just wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, featuring at all. And we live in a land where more and more it is the case that people just never read the Bible. People don't know what the Bible says and people don't want to know what the Bible says. Uh, here are a few incidents that uh, illustrate how foreign to today's society the church and the Bible really are. Um, we had uh, a youth work in, in Wishaw. There were very few, uh, very few Christian children in the, in the town. Uh, our children, when they went through school, it was, there were very, very few of their fellow pupils would have attended church at all. Uh, but we had a, a good number of local children that came to uh, a youth club that we had on a, on a Friday night. And uh, occasionally, occasionally we, one or two of them came to uh, our Sabbath school classes. And there was one occasion, I think it was, uh, Jennifer was talking with some, uh, with some young ones. And she was asking them what they knew about Noah's Ark. And one little girl uh, said she knew about Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark was a ride at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. That's what it meant to her. She had no understanding of there being a story in the Bible about a man called Noah and uh, the ark and, and the animals. Noah's Ark was a ride that you went on at the Pleasure Beach at Blackpool. Uh, Children, if they, if they know a few Bible stories, you would think they would probably have heard about Noah and his ark. Well, she hadn't. Uh, in a school in London, a teacher was, was communicating to the children uh, in December time the, the biblical story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And this was quite new to, to some of them. They'd never really heard this. And one teenager uh, was interested and asked the teacher after the class, something that was troubling him. And his question was this, why did, they give the why did they give the baby a swear word for his name? Why did they call the baby Jesus? The only context in which he'd ever heard the word Jesus was as a blasphemous swear word. So why would you call a baby a swear word? Um, Another one was uh, in, in the city of Oxford in England. Uh, a man was visiting a, a church building to collect something that his wife had left behind earlier in the week. Uh, she was involved in a creative arts project run by the church. 
and uh, she had left a, a garment behind. And as the man arrived on Sunday morning, uh, he met people coming down the steps who were leaving, uh, having attended the worship service. Uh, he saw the minister, uh, whom he recognized, having met him once before, and he asked the minister, what are all these people doing here? I didn't know churches were open on Sundays. <clears throat> and that was his genuine, his genuine position. He'd never thought of the fact that uh, on, on the Lord's Day, there were people who actually go to church to worship, and that that was actually what, why the church was in existence in the first place. For him, the church was a place where there was a creative arts project that his wife went to at some stage during the week. Um, uh, those kind of things illustrate to you just how far removed from the kind of thinking that you might be used to many, many people are in the United Kingdom. Uh, so we need to face up to the truth about our own culture. Uh, we need to understand the way things really are in the United Kingdom and we need to act accordingly. Uh, the vast majority of unbelievers around us have no intention of ever attending church. Uh, they don't care what we wear. They don't care what we sing. They don't care which Bible version we use. They don't care how long our services are. They don't care what kind of music we have. They will leave all of those things to people like us. They have other things that their minds and their hearts are set upon. And these people, in biblical terms, are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And they're not looking for any other road. They're certainly not looking for a road that could be described as narrow. This is not the age of the narrow anything. Our society isn't looking for a narrow way. Uh, people are content to be on the broad road. They might be unhappy on that broad road, but that's the road that suits them well. They have no thought of being a part of our churches, of being like we are. That is the reality of our society. But guess what? Uh, that's just the way it was in the New Testament era. And the message of Peter the Apostle in 1 Peter uh, is, is not one where he encourages his readers to think of themselves as being in tune with the world around them. No, if you read through 1 Peter, you'll find that again and again, Peter uses words uh, like strangers, aliens, sojourners, pilgrims, foreigners, temporary residents. And he is communicating to his fellow Christians that we are strangers in our own land. Our beliefs, our lifestyle, our priorities are different from the unbelieving people around us. We don't fit in. And that is the way it has been for most of God's people in most parts of the world for most of history. Uh, you maybe have grandparents who will tell you about the, the great days when everybody went to church, everybody read the Bible, and all of those things. That has not been the normal experience of God's people throughout history and throughout the world. So, I want you to understand 
your own culture. And I want to say welcome to the normal experience of Christians. These are the kind of Christians that the New Testament was written for. That was the kind of world that they lived in. And this book is for us and for our age. Understanding our culture uh, is important. It's important to recognize the way people think. Otherwise, you can have all sorts of ideas for what might be a, a good thing to do, but it's really not in tune with the way other people are thinking. Now, the second thing I want to speak about then uh, is understanding our calling. How does God want us to live uh, in a culture such as our own? Well, God wants us to pay attention to the scriptures. He wants us to live in our day uh, as he called Christians in New Testament times to live their lives. We essentially need to live and think and function as if we are missionaries in a foreign land. That needs to be our mindset. We need to see ourselves as missionaries in a foreign land. Uh, Quite a while ago now, when our missionaries began their work in Nantes, in France, they didn't just uh, get a place to meet and expect that because they'd got this place to meet, that people would automatically just come and be there for their worship services. No, they knew that that wasn't going to happen. And they knew that they needed to be committed to the long haul of reaching out to people, of getting to know people, of earning the respect of people, and of persisting over a long period of time and showing those people that they were serious about their mission. They weren't just dipping their toe in the water, but they were serious and committed. And now, 25 plus years down the road, on a good day in Nantes, you could have 40 people there gathered for worship. Uh, But our missionaries had to go out among the people because they knew that the people were not going to come in to where they were. And surely the message of the New Testament is one where God tells his people that it is our job to go out with the gospel. To go out with the gospel in a ministry uh, that is soaked in prayer. Peter's message to his readers in the book of 1 Peter, is that they are called to be holy. They're called to be different from the world around them. Called to be distinctive. uh, To stand out rather than to blend in. Uh, Our calling as Christians is to offer the world something different. And the more we're like the world, the less we have to offer to the world. And that holy distinctiveness that uh, Peter is calling for uh, in in the book of 1 Peter, uh, it begins in the way that we treat one another within the church of Christ. In several places in 1 Peter, we're called upon to show an earnest and a fervent love for one another. We are to love others as we ourselves have been loved by the Lord. 1 Peter 1, 
verse uh, 22. We have these words. Now that, you have been, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And in chapter 4, verse 8, uh, it says there, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Uh, we are called upon to have an earnest, uh, deep, uh, a fervent love for one another. We are to display among ourselves a, a community uh, which will have a drawing power for those who are part of no community. Those who have no sense of belonging see when people have a sense of belonging and there is a desire within the human heart to belong. And the Christian church is to be one where there is a community and a sense of belonging. Peter says in chapter 2 verse 5 that we are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Uh, we're not meant to exist as separate little houses on our own. But we're all part of the one house. We're all building blocks in that one house that is the church of Christ. We're all connected to one another in spiritual community. Uh, Peter says in chapter 4 verse 10 that each one should use whatever gift he has uh, to serve others. Often it is the case in Christian churches that we have a, a, a loose connection with each other on the Lord's Day and the rest of the days in the week we go back uh, to largely living our Christian lives on our own. And we need to strive for something better than that. Uh, we, we can't have a meaningful love for one another and a meaningful community with one another if we really only see ourselves, see each other uh, one day in the week. Uh, God saves us in order to make us part of his family. He saves us to give us a new identity. We become part of his bride, part of his church, and he wants us to be meaningfully united uh, to one another within his church. Uh, the devil, on the other hand, delights in keeping Christians apart. He delights in keeping us isolated. Uh, and if he succeeds, he knows we will be weak. We will not be praying with one another and will not be praying for one another. Uh, God calls us to be those who are looking beyond ourselves. Uh, if, if the sinners around us have no intention of coming to hear the gospel, well then how are those sinners ever going to be saved? Well, we will have to be where they are if they're not going to be where we are. We will have to go to them as we are commanded to in the scriptures. And the danger is uh, in Christian churches, whatever size the churches are, the danger is that we can all be so busy with our church meetings that we have no time for those who are outside of the church. Uh, I was talking briefly a few minutes ago to, to Bill and we were talking about how we've both been involved in committees within our presbyteries 
that have taken up a huge amount of our time and our thoughts have been on issues outside of our own congregations uh, every, every day. Uh, but there's, there's other ways in which uh, we can be just so involved in our own little church things that it means that we really don't have any time uh, for meaningful contact with real needy people outside of our congregation. And uh, unless that issue is, is addressed, uh, how is it possible for unbelievers to come in to be a part of our church? We should strive at having a, not just a, a personal Christian witness to those that we have contact with, but we should strive to have a collective uh, witness as a congregation. Um, you have some activities in your church where people from outside do uh, come along and you need to make the most of, uh, of those, those things. Those things are important. If you have anything you're doing where people from outside the church come, well then that, that is something that you need to make the most of that opportunity. And perhaps all of us can think in some ways of how we might change the way we structure and order our lives uh, in two senses. Uh, first of all, how we can seek stronger relationships with our fellow church members. And on the other hand, how can we have more meaningful contact with unbelievers? Uh, in the church context, perhaps you could do things uh, together with other church, with other church members. Uh, maybe ladies could go shopping together and uh, you would have some contact with each other. Perhaps if you're going to meetings in other churches, you could travel together uh, as, a, as a group. And any way in which you can spend a wee bit of time with somebody where at present you wouldn't be doing that, that is a good thing for the building uh, of relationships within the church. And over a period of time, God can use those little times in a, in a big, big way. It all adds up. In terms of reaching those who are unbelievers and who are not going to come to meetings and so on, uh, perhaps there are opportunities to be involved in voluntary organizations where in the process of seeking to help people, you also get to know them and they get to know you. Perhaps you have an interest in a particular hobby or a, a sport or whatever it might be. Uh, it could be a pensioners group um, where there are existing groups where people with an interest in something meet together. Uh, that is, that is a, a good uh, forum in which uh, you, can, you automatically have something in common uh, to, to, to talk to people about. And uh, within, your, within your own locality, uh, there will be opportunities from time to time uh, to ask for help from a, a neighbour that you know has a particular skill in something, maybe something in the garden that you haven't a notion what to, uh, what to do, uh, but you know somebody a couple of doors down that does know. Uh, or there may be opportunities to offer help uh, to people. And those things uh, can all be good, and it's good to consider how we can do anything uh, to try to have more meaningful contact with those who presently have no church connection, no interest, apparently, in Christian things. And of all of us within the church, 
could increase the number of unbelievers that we spend at least some time with, then that increases the number, uh, uh, increases the potential for having profitable conversations with those people whenever they are ready to think about spiritual things. Sometimes it can take a long time before someone ever shows any interest in spiritual matters. Uh, we're told in 1 Peter 3.15 that we're always to be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks us the reason for the hope that we have. Uh, I remember Ken Smith, a retired American pastor, talking about a, a neighbor of his, and I think it was, it was at least nine years that he'd known the man before there was any opportunity at all to speak to the man about uh, Christian things, but the man was subsequently uh, con converted. Uh, so there's a great need for patience and a belief that little things really do make a difference and they, and they do add up. Uh, it's a particular, particularly good thing when we can introduce people to others within our church. Uh, there will be people that you know that you maybe don't have too much in common with them, but somebody else within the congregation would have more in common with that person than uh, you have. And when you get a person who is an unbeliever with no church contact, who is exposed to a Christian witness that's coming at them from several different directions, that has a much more powerful impact upon them. Uh, and the more that Christian people, uh, the more Christian people that have uh, a genuine care for unbelievers, the harder it is for those unbelievers to use the excuses they have uh, for not going to church, for not reading the Bible, um, the less easy it becomes for them to dismiss Christianity uh, out of hand. If, they're, if they know that people care for them, if they know that people are interested in them, it makes it very hard for them to, uh, to really believe the lies they've been convincing themselves of. So in the light of the, the culture that we, we live in, uh, God calls us uh, to adopt uh, a different mindset from the one that we will be tempted uh, to go through life in. We need to stop simply hoping that people are going to start coming to church. And we need to look at how we can be missionaries in the neediest continent on God's earth. That's what we're called to be. Uh, as Christians and uh, all of us need to consider these kind of things if you want there to be uh, an RP church in Carrickfergus in the generations to come then realise that you today in your day uh, need to be the missionaries that patiently go about the work of preparing the soil for harvest you need to be doing the kind of things that the missionaries in Nantes were doing for years and years. Now, the Bible certainly teaches us that it is God who gives the increase. Uh, Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. But the scriptures also teach us that it's God's people who have to do the preparation of the soil. God's people have to do the planting and God's people have to do the watering. And that is a, a calling that we have uh, so just 
to summarize the two things that I'm trying to say here, we need to understand our culture. People aren't interested in the gospel. And then, secondly, we need to understand our calling. We have to be interested in the people. People aren't interested in the gospel. We have to be interested in the people. That's the only way that the people will become interested in the gospel. We are missionaries in a land where we are outsiders. That's what Peter was writing to his readers all those years ago. And that's what the word of God still says to us today. We are strangers. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are just passing through. And we are to be missionaries in our land, in our day, to a culture that isn't thinking about the things that we want them to be thinking about. That is our challenge. That is the challenge of a lifetime. It's a challenge for your generation and the one after it and the one after it. And We, we mustn't uh, think of some glory day in the past that was a wonderful time when everybody came out to church. That's not the way it has normally been for God's people. And we need to accept uh, that the way, the way things are uh, is reality. And this is what Christians have faced normally throughout time. Understanding our challenge.